0: Hi there, welcome to Somewhat Overfitting, the podcast about data science and digital transformation. My name is Jonas, and every week, I'm interviewing people in the data science field on how they use data in their day-to-day business life. Today, I'm talking to Adam Valen, data analyst at Love Communications in Salt Lake City. Adam did a double major in political science and strategic communications, and then started out as a digital marketer at Love Communications. There, he basically built up their data unit, where he is lead consultant now. Adam and I talked about how he started in data science, how Love Communications uses data and what he thinks about algorithms in marketing. We also discussed how he embraces the use of data at the agency and how he shows the value of his work. So let's get started. So hi Adam, I hope you're doing all right with all the COVID stuff. Can you first give us a little introduction about yourself?
1: Yeah, definitely. No. So my name is Adam Whalen. Um, I'm in my final semester of my master's program at the University of Utah, uh, getting in business analytics. I am 23 years old, a uh, huge baseball nerd, but in terms of my <laughs> actual real background. So I've been working in data analytics for close to four years now. Um, and when I started as an intern at my company, uh, which is a marketing agency called Love Communications in Salt Lake City, there was a need for someone with data. So I came on and I was mostly doing reporting, which was nothing more really than uh, Excel sheets. So I was doing a lot of Excel formulas and pivot tables. And then that kind of evolved into more real data is I guess what I'd call it. So developing into using SQL queries and developing data warehouses and building dashboards and more advanced, not just generating some pivot tables and Excel sheet over the last two or three years. And that's been really fun.
0: Yeah. And you said you, you started like building up the data warehouse and the big query. And Mm -hmm. so how I understand it now is like in the beginning, you were more like the Google analytics reporting guy. And then you evolved into the position of doing it in, in, in a more professional way with like yep. the BigQuery stuff. How, how did that happen? Was it like the, the boss came on and we're like, hey, dude, we need to get serious with the data stuff or?
1: Yeah, no, that's a good question. I got to rack my brain a little bit here because there's not like a specific moment. Really, it was kind of funny. So it came up along in a couple of ways. So. We slowly and slowly got more data advanced, right? Um, We were starting to kind of get new data pipelines. And so we have reps with Google directly. So we've, this is probably about two years ago, we run all of our campaigns through Google Campaign Manager. Mm -hmm. It was called DoubleClick. Um, In the marketing world, if you do media buying, it's pretty common. Um, Mm -hmm. It's called an ad server. And we were talking about how there's all these new reporting capabilities. We could get new new information on our audiences, new reach and frequency, just a whole host of new fancy marketing-laden term metrics. But we had to run it through the Google Cloud pl- platform on a service called BigQuery and I had no idea what it was at the time. Mm. Um and this was kind of happening concurrently with us wanting to develop dashboards because we found that a lot of competitive agencies were starting to offer this. And so I did some research and so it's funny because I can't point it to anything other than a Google sales rep 2 years ago introducing this cool new layer of data and I was like, "All right, that's awesome." Um yeah. and so yeah, and so we learned about Google BigQuery and that's when I kind of started learning about it and that's when honestly that was like the first time I learned about structured query language or SQL. Um, that was, which is so funny, right? That you can be, you know, that's only two years ago, you know? Um, and so the modicum to launch BigQuery was kind of out of thin air, but it was saying like, Hey, all we were doing to your point, we were getting numbers out of analytics. We were getting numbers out of our ad server and just throwing them into PowerPoint slides. And when the sales rep came along and talked about not only the new metrics we could have, but the fact that we could use these to build live dashboards, it's like Google data studio. Um, we now use Tableau. That was really cool. And so I'm, I'm lucky enough to work at a company where, you know, my boss was basically like, hey, you know, why don't you 10 hours a week, start learning SQL, start learning yeah. BigQuery, see what you can do. And I took a couple of classes, um, like online classes, like W3 schools yeah. and data camp um, and just learned it. That's honestly my introduction to BigQuery. And it's funny how much Googling I've had to do to get used to the cloud platform as well. Just the whole
0: UI and everything. So yeah. And what kind of data do you store in the BigQuery? Mm-hmm. Like you're in an ad agency, you have different companies. Yeah. Main, main customer are tourist, like yeah. local government tourist comp- yeah. companies or like entities.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's well said. So yeah, no, we store is really interesting. So in the marketing world, um, you have impressions, right? So how many people have seen your ad? And especially because I focus a lot in digital marketing, mm-hmm. that's much more trackable. So we know that if you saw a banner ad, we can, we can kind of track that. And so what we store in the warehouse is we actually, we, we get a direct transfer. So every single impression that happens, we get a hundred to 200 data points on what else they did. So we know if, so our, our warehouse is filled, like our row level data is pretty much all impression level data. Mm -hmm. So it's basically saying this impression occurred. Did they click on the ad? Did they not click on the ad? What creative unit were they served? Um, Did they convert on the website? Did they even make it to the website? Mm -hmm. That's kind of the type of data we're storing. But then we're also storing just kind of aggregated metrics. Like our Google Analytics data lives in our warehouse. Um, And we don't get like the user level data for that. We just get sort of like the main Google Analytics metrics just in a nested format in our Mm -hmm. tables. We get Facebook data. And then we actually absorb what's really fun. um, And this kind of shows you how fun you can have with data analytics is we absorb a lot of third-party data. So we have weather data. So we can look at if folks in like, let's say someone in New York's buying a ski trip. Yeah. We actually monitor when the temperature drops to a certain level. Cause we know it's correlated with an increase in searching for a ski vacation because yeah. it's getting colder and they start to think about it. So that's another cool area we have in our warehouse. And nowadays with the world of COVID, um, <laughs> not to, you know, timestamp this recording, um, as we're all quarantined, but we actually have like case data. So when we're talking about when to start advertising in States, we're actually tracking oh, okay. the positive case rate and the, it, the, it, it, states to know that they're ready to receive advertising
0: yeah and they have then in, in, in the data warehouse how can i imagine that is it like a project for each client or is it like every data is together in one pot yeah. and then you kind of like take for every client what you need or is it yeah. a bit of both
1: yeah a bit of both actually so what we do the way we structure it is uh you're dead on all around actually so we everything we ingest we put in a data lake so yeah. in google bigquery we have one project that houses absolutely everything so yeah. Whenever we, so we use a mixture of a service called Stitch and Matillion to load in data that we wouldn't otherwise have. And then the Mm -hmm. rest actually, because we work within Google's marketing offerings, we actually have the ability to directly, so a good example is our paid search data Mm or PPC paper book data goes directly into BigQuery, right? Yeah. Just right in. Yeah. Because it's both Google services. So they speak very cleanly to one another. Um, But the rest, we put it in one project, one Google BigQuery project, and it's just called our data lake. And then what we do is we have separate projects for the other clients, and we'll fetch data out of the data lake to Mm -hmm. create the data sets within those specific projects for those clients. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's kind of like a best practice that I wasn't even really aware of Mm -hmm. until I talked to some Google folks, is to have a data lake with all of the raw, untouched data that you're Mm -hmm. just collecting all the time. And then however you... Hierarchically organize your data. For us, it makes sense to do it on a client by client basis, obviously, yeah. because it's right. I mean, it's just such a nice, clean way to organize it. You fetch from the raw data, and you can actually do the cleaning in one whole process. So we yeah. don't have unorganized, dirty data for ten clients and ten projects. It's all just in this one project, and then everything for the client level is really nice, cleaned tables to, yeah. to pull from.
0: The Facebook data, for example, or the the um, weather data, is it mm-hmm. requested via an API, or how do you mm-hmm. get that data in the BigQuery?
1: Yeah, no, that's a good question. You're actually bringing up, not to just spoil um, anything, but you know, this is one of the biggest challenges we're facing. So yeah. nothing's API driven right now. Yeah. Weather data is actually nice. And in BigQuery, especially if you're ever bored, you can sign up for an account. They have a bunch of public data sets that mm-hmm. you can just use nice. and weather is yeah. one of them. So you can actually tap into a free weather data set, no API needed. You actually just pin it as a new project into your data lake and mm-hmm. you have it. In terms of Facebook, um, we go through, so we could be using an API. We mm-hmm. don't use an API because we don't have the technical know-how to kind of set that up. And mm-hmm. it takes a long time, actually, to get properly. Facebook's one of the hardest companies to work with in terms of fetching data. Mm. It takes a, So we've only started adjusting Facebook data as of about three months ago, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you were to set up an API from scratch, get the data, and make sure everything's transferring correctly, um, it can take north of six months to get Facebook to work oh, Wow. So, yeah, it's, it's they long. Don't so share actually, data, yeah, they don't want to. Um, <laughs> So we use a service called stitch. There's a lot of these guys. Okay, They're basically yeah. ETL partners that right. already have connections to them. Yeah. So what's happening on the back end is I'm going into stitch and I'm giving them a level of permissions on my Facebook account to mm-hmm. take the data from my account. And they've already gone through the approval process. It's essentially a back. Yeah. Is what it is. <laughs> um, and part of the reason we're using them is you, you get a free license for up to 5 million rows extracted. Yeah. And because we're only extracting aggregate data, we're not
0: approaching anything near
1: that. So we actually oh, get okay. our Facebook data in our warehouse for
0: free. Nice. So is it like monthly? They have monthly yeah. 5 million? And so you basically get it for free right now? That's great.
1: <laughs> exactly. And we're actually onboarding with Google. Um, so we get our marketing data. We work speci- or, And when I say marketing data, I mean our primary data. So everything that comes out of our banner, our video advertising, anything yeah. in an that ad server we pay a monthly fee to have Google transfer that for us. Yes, yeah. um, And we're actually in the process of appending our contract. So Facebook will be rolled up into that. Cause right now just to give you some context, it's nice to have this Facebook for free, but it's very limited. Basically what right. we get is the ad was served, that did this many impressions, yeah. this many engagements and this much revenue generated if we have the pixels or the tracking set properly. But what we don't get is like customer level data or regional data, like what counties or zip codes were performing. Was yeah. it Instagram or Facebook? What placement? That exponentially increases your rows, and so we need to work with more cost because this is how they get to these ETL partners. It's five million rows free. If you exceed that, holy cow, does it get expensive? <laughs> so we're we're working on baking that into this sort of yeah. larger contract, so we can get that extra level of data and sort of fidelity that we want when analyzing that stuff.
0: Yeah. And how do you, how do you use that data? Is it you said you use mm-hmm. dashboards? And- yeah. You you prepare the dashboards and then you show it to the to the strategists Mm -hmm. in your agency and they're gonna see okay when the weather increases like when the temperature increases as a basic idea we need to roll out more ads or do you also use algorithms that help you (laughs) um, identify for example which ad was performing better and why it was performing better in like some Mm -hmm. way
1: Oh, that's a great question. I think the back half is what we're trying to get to. So yeah. right now, pretty much what we use it for is exclusively dashboards. And yeah. really, this is where kind of we're trying to evolve to is right now, and this is kind of not, I don't want to say a shame, but pretty much you use it exclusively for client facing dashboards. So yeah. we do a lot. So pretty much all of like, and you had talked about how we've seen the weather spike, you know, send this ad. I'm pretty much so me, I'm I'm doing that manually. So I'm monitoring these data signals and letting our digital media buyers know. Mm-hmm. I say, Hey, here's my recommendation for you. Um, you. there's a bit okay. of a challenge there because yeah. I would say a lot of the people don't, I don't want to say don't believe in the dashboards, but they kind of like just using the Google cause they're so they've been using it for four years. So yeah. they just want to keep using their Google sources and that's it. Yeah. So there's a challenge. There's a data analyst to have them embrace this new system. But right now we basically with this data will create basic client facing dashboards. So we have a Tableau subscription. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we can publish these live. You can log into a link. The data will refresh every four hours is how we currently have it set up. It's um, kind of a mess right now in terms of the data pipelines. We're working on um, kind of consolidating that. And that's the primary use. But I would say what my sort of goal is in the short term with the department in the next three to six months is to have internal dashboards that our team uses more regularly. Yeah. And then after that, you, you hit the nail on the head there, You know, It's going for algorithms, advanced yeah which we've used once, um, but that's the end goal. It's building these systems and building them in a way that they're sustainable and organized, huh. and there's buy-in, that's the tricky part. And so we're kind of doing baby steps in developing our warehouse and our analytics huh. suite, so to
0: speak. So you just said you used um, algorithms once. What did you do, Yeah. And for what, and how did it go?
1: Yeah, so I was fiddling around with things. I had put, yeah. basically what we had is, so for the Utah Office of data Estate account, right, I built like a very basic logistic regression Um, and I set it up in Google machine learning and I wanted to see if I could more accurately measure the top performing ads than the ad server was. And I was able to, and this was going against, we basically have a key metric we optimize our ads Mm -hmm. against, um, which is called post impressions, which is when someone sees an ad doesn't click, but actually later visits the website, we find that's a better intent than clicks because a lot of clicks are accidental.
0: Um,
1: and that's also been like the best, most highly correlated proxy for a booking. So we can't connect it directly to our ads. but We can actually track when people book, and the only reason I'm going through this whole explanation is because it'll mm-hmm. feed back to model performances. We know when someone books and later makes it to Utah if they've been ad exposed or not. And so what I tried to do with this logistic regression was rather than just use post impressions, which is what our reinforcement algorithms are using on mm-hmm. the ad server, I tried to use a blend of things like a couple different conversion. Like we, I was trying to say, all right, well here's what I'm going to feed into this model: if they hit this web page and this web page yeah. with a little. And, and I'm trying to have all that feed in and it was able to be like a little more accurate. Um, the tricky part is finding a way to incorporate that into the optimization loop. Right. Um, the advantage of these reinforcement algorithms, um, like these multi-armed bandits and whatnot that a lot of these advertising engines use mm-hmm. is they are so efficient. It's just hard to beat them, you know, yeah. cause they, they figure it out so fast and yeah. I can build a great model that beats them, but, by the time i have found the winner the reinforcement algorithm probably found it yeah.
0: 100 times as fast so how do you see algorithms help in your day-to-day job
1: yeah definitely so i mean you know that's an interesting question i think the long-term goal is to have more algorithms that automate things right and what i mean to say by that is what we have issues with right now and where i think algorithms can help us the most and where yeah. we're not taking advantage is when campaigns fall behind, right? And all I mean to say by that is when performance spikes below a specific level or an ad yeah. spikes above, it. maybe it's user error, maybe you didn't load in the proper creative asset, maybe the landing page link is broken. Right now, we don't have a system set in place to flag or set out reminders that things are broken. Yeah. Um, and the algorithms that exist in the systems will automatically yeah. just stop serving that ad, but what if that's your only ad you've logged in? Which happens with some of these smaller clients that don't have a lot of creative assets. Yeah. We don't have a system, And I know this isn't a a strict algorithm in the sense that it's doing any sort of predictive nature. It's not really fleshing things out. We don't have a a system and it really is an outlier model is what we're projecting that flags when something's wrong. Um, And I think we could save a lot of dollars in manpower and hours if we had an algorithm in place like that. So right now we're kind of leaning on all the marketing algorithms, which are Mm -hmm. good. Now they work for a reason. But I think there's ways we can improve our infrastructure to do a better job with them.
0: And that's going back to the point where you said, like, you have the models, um, not the models, the dashboards, and they're they're great. But then, yeah, you have the issue that a lot of the media buyer are like, yeah, we have our tools, we don't need your dashboard. How do you yeah. how do you embrace it? How do you how do you make them use your dashboard?
1: Totally. And this is something that I'm really starting to do. And a lot of it is yeah. listening to feedback. Right. Yeah. I think one of the main components of being a data analyst that most folks miss is the communication aspect and the listening yeah. aspect. I think yeah. there's just one too many cocky data analysts in this world, you know, I just, and I just mean that broadly. I don't even mean a specific person or an entity. I just think folks in data analytics feel very cocky about the power they have at their fingertips. And a lot of that results in a lack of communication. So one of the things I've been trying to do is every time I create a dashboard, maybe not through an official survey, but I'll just go through some user testing. I'll just say, Hey, what do you like? What do you not like about this? What could be improved? What would make you use this more? You know what I mean? Right. And in that iterative manner, because the one thing I would say is you can never expect someone to immediately adopt your creation immediately. What I've noticed is, so there's quite a few folks at the agency that um, touch the dashboards in some way. And what I mean to say about that is they have a client that uses it, right? Yeah. And I find a slow crawl where the dashboard becomes useful for grabbing this piece of information that they would have otherwise had to manually calculate. That's been the biggest foundation is, I think the key with these media buyers is it's like, they're never going to really... Unlike us data analysts who are going to go in the weeds and really segment and slice and dice and do your magic as much as you want, these folks are just looking. They have the same things they know they want to pull every month, every two months, whatever the reporting period is. And if you can make a way that it is both easier and faster to do on your dashboard, yeah. that's how you get them to adapt it. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's been kind of one of my main goals. And I, I am serious when I say this is an interesting time we're talking because um, starting like June 1 my time is going to be pivoting a bit to building internal dashboards and building internal buy-in of our tools to get them to be more efficient and, and mm. useful. So communication is key though. Just like listen to feedback and adopt it like you would a product. You know what I mean? Don't don't be bullish and say like this dashboard I create is perfect and no one can tell me otherwise because yeah. then who are you helping at that
0: point? Uh-huh. So always talking back, trying yeah. to improve it in a way that they, that it's more useful for them. And you just said yeah. you would go into more internal dashboards. Or thing (laughs) how i understood your dashboards are you use them inside so you give them your in-house ad buyers but for somebody else's product so how would you how is it different to the ones that you're trying to or planning on creating now
1: no that's a good no that's a great point that's a great point of clarification so right now every dashboard i create is like a client specific so we have funny enough in the current situation we have a client that sells like a prepper meals and food so they Mm -hmm. sell like the mres and the rations right right um And so if I was to create a dashboard, it would be very specific to that client. So it's their impressions, their data over the last 30 days, their revenue, their conversions, all of that. Mm -hmm. I'm conceptualizing an internal dashboard. What I'm conceptualizing is essentially um, replicating, yet improving a lot of the views we have in our other marketing tools. So when you think about something like paid search, as an advertiser, and every person uses these platforms differently, right? But as a media buyer or as a reporter, and you would know this, you know, is there's so much noise. There's so much yeah. stuff on that portal that I'm never going to use, that user interface. I will never use it. So when I think about what an internal dashboard is, is it's one, it's non-client specific. So when you enter the dashboard, you can pick which client you want to view data for. And two, it removes all of the white noise and the extra clicks and the mm. extra exports and extra manual calculations you would have to make to get the data you need. Mm. Um, and similarly, number three, I would say, is it's something that has export functionality because I think what you see in a lot of these platforms where you'd be going to grab data is you would sometimes have to build charts or visualizations, something like an Excel or a PowerPoint. Whereas what my goal is with the internal dashboards is to build them in a way where there's, there's export functionality because it's all about time savings with mm-hmm. internal dashboards, right? Whereas the client-facing dashboard, is, is, it's like 50% kind of sexy, right? You're, you're showing off your data savviness to the client and how they can log in and view their data in their time. And then it's 50% usability. Mm-hmm. The internal dashboards is all about usability, okay. all about time savings. That, um, yeah. You don't really have the flair to it. So I imagine the internal dashboard being a little grittier as well. Yeah. Um, and, but I mean, to say, is like the client dashboards have like our branding. There's, the, there's an acute a focus on visuals, yeah. on making sure it's easily navigable. Um, with an internal dashboard, I would say, hey, let's do a one hour training. Even if it's not pretty, even if I don't have the love logo slapped all over everything, yeah. it's going to result in us getting our jobs done. faster than, you know, that's, that's a way to increase buy-in too.
0: But at the end, they might have similar input, like similar data showing.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like probably in a lot of ways, the metrics are almost identical. Yeah. Um, I think the one thing you would see is on these client facing dashboards, it's very much what I would consider, what I would say, pulse type metrics. Mm -hmm. So it's impressions over the last 30 days, impressions over the last 15 days, this rate over the last 30 days. Yeah. Whereas with the internal dashboard, we would say, hey, we've loaded in two years of data. Right. Um, we have comparison features. Right. We just have a, a lot of other tools that's not as bare bones as well. Yeah. But the metrics, to your point, yes, very similar. Very, no, okay, that makes
0: sense. Yeah, great. So when you say you have issues with like showing the value, which is... clear because like you don't bring in the money you just provide things for the guys who bring in the money basically so you prepare the way so they can bring in the money did you experience problems with that did or do you have just have at the moment a boss who is believing in what you're doing or did you have issues and how did you tackle them i wouldn't say i have like issues per se because to your
1: point my boss has been and i would say the the president of the firm tom love is like (laughs) yeah Actually, his name. They've been they've been wholeheartedly embracing analytics, data analytics. Like they've totally embraced it. But what I think is hard, and we definitely are an agency that's not as technically savvy as some entities. And all I mean to say by that is, like, we still buy more billboards and television in the state than anyone else, which are called legacy platforms, and they don't have a lot of reporting and trackability. So there's not a lot of data. Um, as just a company that's new in date that in the last two years has come a long way, mm-hmm. I think you get a lot of folks that buy in, and you have to buy in from stakeholders that. Like want to do this, but the the linchpin is only to understand the costs and time and technical know-how that are actually entailed by the things they're purporting or saying we should do. Mm -hmm. So, a good example of this is when my boss said, let's just build out our data warehouse. (laughs) Like, that's, dude, like, that's a much, much larger enterprise than let's just do it. Yeah. right? That requires a lot of hours. That requires transfer fees, storage fees. That just, it's it's a whole new thing. Yeah. So what I would say is, in, and in the addition, in the same fashion that they can't connect the costs associated with expanding these foundations, they also can't connect the costs that are grown because of these foundations. So when I say we want this API that costs $400, which not to blow smoke or discount that that's nothing compared to this, what we spend on some other things at the agency yeah. and they blush at it saying, why should data cost that much? That's that lack of knowledge of just the industry right. in general. Right. Yeah. And so hopefully I answered your question coherently there. Yeah. Um, that's sort of what the challenge is. You know what I mean? It's, it's just growing familiarity with what the real costs are. And I'm not even saying hard costs. That's also time costs. Like yeah. saying that, Hey, in order to build these like dashboards or build this warehouse, we need to find an extra 20 hours. Yeah. Which they're envisioning is actually like two. It's like, no, it's going to take 10 times as long as it's going take
0: yeah. so It's like a so, little bit of understanding on how much it actually costs and how much time it actually takes. Yes. And then it's how much time you actually have it. in your week.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's not that they don't actually believe in it. It's yeah. just, I don't think they really understand what it is. Yeah. In some fashions. I understand that. Know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Great think that's it so far thanks for Definitely. your time thank you very much yeah thank and you man i'm gonna link you in the show notes so sweet whoever hears that can contact you if they have any further questions
1: fantastic yeah, no, yeah feel free to reach out to me i'm always happy with questions if we get any you know good hits happy to answer them
0: and that's it for today Thanks for listening and tune in next week for a new episode of Somewhat Overfitting. Thanks again to Adam for being on the show and visit somewhatoverfitting.com for the show notes. The music comes from Bobby Rands and is called Jungles. Thank you and see you next time.